welcome in to episode three of Docs of Takes with Mr. Chase Lee. Chase, how are you? Doing good, Brian. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just so our viewers know, the short banter part, we have every episode that we've done at least three <laughs> takes. So, you know, we're going to stop it there. We're just not going to mess this one up, right? So let's just move on. <laughs> and uh we'll go to the next part because we just it's always too long and it's always stupid so we're gonna move on from that uh and the perfect thing to tell you as this is our third episode and uh you know we're having a good time doing it it's fun we've asked everybody what the feedback is um and so we're gonna start with that right to to kick it off brian do you know what the number one feedback that i've gotten is who the hell is brian yes you got it who the hell are you uh so why don't we tell some people uh brian What's uh what's your story? Yeah, well, you know, Chase, you, you make a good point. I don't think we did the best job at introducing ourselves when when we started the podcast. We kind of no, we just, just jumped in. It. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we just we sent did. it. <laughs> we did. Now, um, yeah. So a little bit, a little bit of background on me. You know, I work in the financial services industry. I'm an investment allocator with a firm down in Charlotte, here in Charlotte, and um, been doing it a few years. I uh, hope one day I can be as cool as you. Oh, I don't. That's that's not the goal. I hope. So long story short, you're keeping the anonymous mask. So uh, in case this podcast is real bad, so I'm just going to take all the heat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so. All right. Off of that, though, like, why don't you do a quick intro as well? Because um, as we talked about, we, we really didn't do a great one to start with. So Chase, that's fair. Give, give the audience your background. Yeah, no, and you're right. You know, we we did just uh we jumped right in. So, um my name is obviously out there. So, I'm Chase Lee and I'm the co-founder of Doxa Capital, uh, who sponsors this podcast, by the way. So, thanks to them. And uh I run all of our client portfolios over there. Um and that's at, you know, as a portfolio manager, I guess you could say, uh, director of research I, is, you know, on some of the notes. Before that, I was the assistant portfolio manager at a, a wealth team at Morgan Stanley up in DC. And I have a degree in econ, a cert in advanced valuation from NYU, and am a CFA, a chartered financial analyst. So that is all my credentials. Uh, but the most important one is that brevity is not my gift, uh, which is, I think, half the reason why I'm even on a podcast, right? <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's why I love you. It's why I love you. <laughs> um. That's what people tell me. Uh, yeah, everybody's um, making it up. Well, um, now that that has satisfied our bio requirement um, for the audience, you know, the the one thing that I wanted to tell you uh, is some of the best feedback. I was talking to David the other day, right? And some of the best feedback we've gotten is that David episode. You know, that was a good uh, one. It, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And we're going to keep those coming. We're, we're probably going to do um, an episode of the two of us and then a guest and two of us and guests and kind of go back and forth. And um, given that, that our next episode will be episode four, we've got a phenomenal guest lined up. I think our audience will really love it. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're definitely gonna have David on, you know, plenty of times, obviously. So yes. uh, to hit the planning and, and we'll have a bunch of those. So we got, we got big plans and I'm, I'm definitely excited about it. It's uh we've gotten a great reception. I'm really, really, I'm stoked about that. Uh, you know, and it's it's honestly gone way way better than I thought. So that's cool. Well, I'm glad you know because when uh, we started talking about this, we didn't even know a name, and now you've got yeah. uh, look at that. You've got some warm reception to both the podcast and the firm. You know? Right, 
Hey, and you know, uh, so thinking back to our first episode, you know, and talking about the name uh, of Doxa Takes, right? So we did have a good chat about the markets, 2023 outlook. That was back in December, first episode. Um, and as you just said, right, we were kind of fumbling on a name. We came up with on Doxa Takes. And so I was thinking, you know, uh, this past month as we're putting together some content for this one of man, we called it Doxa Takes and, you know, we're just chatting and you know, having some interviews. Let's actually have some takes, right? Let, let's break it down into uh, into a nice uh, some format. We can hit some takes and um, yeah. that should that should, you know, honor the name, right? No, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I like that idea. It'll make a little more sense. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the audience will even like our banter a little more. I very much doubt it. They're fast forwarding through the first three minutes of this every time. That's no doubt. Uh, I do it to other podcasts, so I, I know it's done. Um, so cool. Also, right before we jump in to the first take of the day, let me give the disclosure. As always, nothing we say here is investment advice. We do not know your personal situation, your goals, or any other variables that we use to create a unique financial and investment plan for you and your family. We're just here chatting, as we've said many times. And of course, you are welcome to reach out at anyone at Doxa Capital if you are interested in a tailored financial plan for you. Perfect. So that's the disclosure. And I will uh, jump out there and give you take number one. I want to hear it. Back in uh, December, as you remember, we we did the whole 2023 outlook. And as I just said, uh, man, people were recession was around the corner. That was the consensus. My take number one is that every one of those uh, recession calls have egg on their face at the moment. That's that's which may not be a hot take because uh, it was maybe a week or two ago. But man, January data has been, um, you know, very good. And, um, you know, things are things are still fine, right? Things are still fine. And that was not uh, at all where you had um, pretty much everyone I knew at that point consensus and uh, your Wall Street banks, you know, all, all the sell side. Nobody was was on that train. Right. So let me ask you this question. It's been two months thereabouts since our first since our first episode, uh, the recession, the recession callers that now have egg on their face. Um, <laughs> were they early or were they wrong? Oh, I mean, you know, you could be both, right? you know, true. Well, fair. Um, early and wrong are the same thing. Yeah. It's, right. uh, you know, it, and, and we'll see. And I will always say we'll see, um, you know, as, as we as you go through time, you know, there is obviously going to be a recession sometime. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it, it depends on your time frame, you know, whether whether you're early or wrong. So that's a, a cop out answer. I know. But basically, man. It's really tough as a forecaster post COVID and, and lots of people are struggling with this. Okay. And I'm by all means, I'm not, you know, here saying, Hey, you know, I got this one right. Or when, I, because listen, the market will always humble you. And, you know, I like, I really think that, you know, we're, we're understanding kind of what's happening now, but we won't, you know, in the future, you know, and, and we're going to be on the other side as well. And I have been plenty of times. Right. But as we sit today, a lot of people, and I and I see it, right, are getting things wrong by thinking this is a normal cycle, right? COVID was a completely this time is different type of cycle, and you never want to say that. But this time, right, when was there a pandemic last? 
a century ago. So you do have to understand that there are different outcomes since the inputs, you know, were different. You know, that is true. And so, you know, with that being said, um, for I think a lot of forecasters, when they look at data, because they're seeing things that in the in the historical past, meaning in the past couple of decades, have meant one thing, where in this particular economy, right, let's say, well, half of it, um, excuse me, not half, it's maybe 30% is the goods producing economy was really, really slowing down in the fall, really slowing down. Well, that has historically meant, you know, hey, recession's around the corner, you know, it, it's it's there, it's inevitable. In this particular case, right, that's that bullwhip effect, you know, I've talked about that, you know, you know that, because we're swinging around so much because COVID was such a disruption. So while the goods producing, you know, economy in the fall was really struggling, other things weren't, you know, travel was booming, right? We, me and you have talked about this, of course. And it, it's just, it's, it's still happening, right? And, and that's the thing is, I think we, you know, especially forecasters love that year over year data, right? Well, you know, January, 2022, and you're lapping the November 20, 2021, those were hot years, everything was booming. So your year over year numbers are going to look bad. That doesn't mean what it used to mean in prior cycles, because this has been such a boom off of the, you know, a complete shutdown of the globe and everything kind of got messed up. Right. And, and I can tell you personally, like my, the charts that we follow, oh, they are so messed up. That is, I think that is the big take. I think uh, uh, a more serious take versus, you know, the egg on your face of just, you know, this is, this isn't like normal cycles. This is different. And you have to kind of look at it with a different view. And if you do that, then you can really start to see uh, something like we say a lot, right? You start to see the forest for the trees. Um, and so that I think is really, really important. And that's really helped us this past, past six months of saying, you know, guys, I, you know, a recession isn't around the corner right now because things are still really strong. Um, MasterCard spending for January, right? Spending X cars was up 8.8%. Spending in restaurants in January is up 24.2%. That is, that's big. You know, Costco sales, 6.9% in January, you know, and, and these are, these are goods, right? And they're spending like that and the labor market's strong. It's just not there, right? It's just not there. So, you know, that's kind of, I think the, the bigger take, um, you know, and, and I'll tell you, it's a, uh, I'll leave you with this on, on, on this thought. There's a quote that I just loved so much. Nothing will change the fact that human knowledge is derived from the past but all decisions are made from the future. It's a great, great, great quote because that's that's what we do, right? We take past data. That's all we have. We want to use that to our best of ability to forecast the future. And that will serve us very, very well in lots of situations. In some situations, it won't. And it really, you know, appears to us, at least at this point, that, um, you know, you, you have to take things with a caveat. Um, there's a lot of dislocations going on right now. And so stepping back to see kind of that, that high level picture, you know, I think is really important. I agree. And thinking back to our first episode and really just that time frame when you and I would grab lunch and just, you know, kind of shoot the breeze on, on, you know, markets in general. Right. I was on the other side of that where I was like, oh no, you're going to get a, you're going to get a recession in the first quarter. But, and I knew things were different. Right. But I was sort of still expecting everything to, to pull back. But it hasn't, and that has surprised me. For sure. 
consumer is still in really in a, still in a really good spot. You know, companies are still spending, right? CapEx hasn't hasn't really fallen off a cliff. Um, you know, so you're you're seeing you're seeing the spending still happening, and on top of that, right? I think there's still a lot of money in the in in the system, right? Obviously, the the PPP loans and, and that sort of stuff was kind of filtered out, but you know, and you're starting to see the savings rates come down a little bit. But yep. people, I think, are still trying to be a little more responsible than they were pre-COVID. And well, you know why the money's still in the system? It's because people still have jobs and they're yeah. still getting paid. Well, and that's the other thing. Wage growth is, I mean, wage growth is still strong. Solid. Right. And, and, it, not- and it's come. Yep. And it's coming down, you yeah. know, because people are relating that to inflation. It, and it is coming down, but but it's on a good good spot. I think um, uh, last ECI was like uh, uh, it's a employment cost index. It's a, a index that we use to really look at these things in a, in a good manner. I think it was like five five four or something like that, which is consistent with like you know a two to three percent inflationary environment. A, that's you know like it's coming yeah. down, and that that's the thing. We had this such a boom that created this big inflation boom, which we haven't seen you know, in, in 40 years. And again, what do people do when they see inflation last year, they ran for the hills cause they're, Oh, it's the seventies again. Okay. It's not <laughs> right. We had way too much demand chasing too few goods. Yeah. It's very simple. The supply well, side now made more goods. And then we have a normalizing demand with a lot of goods. And that's what happened in the fall. Right. And, and that's why you had a lot of that data slow down is because we had way too much inventory because again, forecasters are the purchasing managers of Amazon, Target, Walmart. It's very, very hard to forecast where demand is going to be in this environment because of the ebbs and swings of kind of how that post-COVID opening up went. You know, and and I know um, sitting here in the United States, you know, and in, in North Carolina, and I understand it. Half of the country was open, half wasn't. And sitting here today, you're like, man, COVID. I haven't thought about that in two years. Yeah. And I understand that. However, you know, companies have, and not because of COVID the disease, but because COVID made them not have any inventory. Then they ordered a bunch of inventory, but ocean freight was, you know, $20,000 a container. And so then they had to price all that in. And then they were like, oh man, demand is still there. I got to get stuff for Christmas. So then they double ordered freight was still high, but then demand was normal. And then they had too much stuff. And now freight prices are back to like $2,000 a container because no one needed to ship anything. <laughs> it, right. It's just such a swing. And that's really tough, you know, for, for right. people to figure out. But the good news is that, you know, what, what, we're, what we said on that first episode, what we said in our note, 2023 to us is a year of normalization, right? We're, because every, everyone is getting it. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of really smart people behind, you know, your Walmarts, your Targets, your Amazons, your Googles, and, and you know, your Apples. They, they got it, right? They're going to get it down. They're going to kind of get back right because everything is normalizing. But, man, 2020, 21, 22, yeah, I mean, dislocations can happen for, for years. It doesn't fix itself in three months, you know? Right. So, um, you know, you, like I said, you step back and you can really see that and you say, oh, I get it now, right? Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, so right. you know right. that, that well, that's think, where we're at. Yeah, and I think I think that's where I was wrong. Um, you know, towards the end of last year. Right. Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, and 
let me say real quick too, the the economy is very global, you know, and and so quite simply, um, if you want to boil this down into a couple of variables, right? And, and for your your Q four, you know, hey, rates have gone up a ton. That's always meant, you know, recession. Everything's going to get crunched. Housing basically, you know, grinded to a halt. Which that also we should hit that on a future podcast. P.S. Um, we can. I know people will love a housing podcast. That'll be a oh, good one. I would love a housing podcast. But yeah, we we will definitely <laughs> do that. That's that's for sure something that 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 we can talk in detail about. Nevertheless, okay, the the activity, you know, it really kind of stopped. You know, people were were you know quote unquote pulling back again. Goods inventories. You had all that stuff. Right, Brian, and like you weren't wrong to be like, man, these are not good variables to go Mm -hmm. into a year. That's not wrong, right? But you got to step back and say, okay, let's look at the really big things. China also kind of did a 180 and said, hey, we're just going to open up our whole economy. So, again, remember, COVID's still there, like still in the globe and still having an effect. You know, whether that goes good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's still a lot of people that need stuff and that, and that have activity and travel okay so well, that's right. number one Go and, ahead. and that should push down that should push down consumer prices because you have all that production back online yeah that's that's debatable because they didn't really um for china uh, specifically right they had uh they kept most of production up and you can see that in the net export numbers so their exports were still high going to the rest of the world of course but their imports were very down the consumption thing right so when that, you know, as they've opened up and, and like, it's not, it's not just the floodgates of them opening up. Let me say it, it's choppy because everyone's going to get COVID because they opened up. So that's a whole thing that'll be, it'll take, you know, a little bit of time, but I can tell you right now in the data, the travel boom for, um, most of, most of China and, and that Asian region is massive, right? Um, you can see that in Airbnb just, uh, this week and their numbers saying, yeah, it's, it's aggressive. So let me yeah. ask you. One, let me ask you one more question before we kind of move on. Yep. Um, uh, move on to earnings. I know that's our second take of, of the episode, but when we talk about China reopening, right? I want to talk about how inflation is going to kind of play out, right? Yep. So, question that I've been getting asked a lot is, where do we think inflation is going? That's a really good one. It's a really good question. In theory, like in my mind, it would make a lot of sense that, okay, inflation might come down, but we're not getting back to 2%. We're going to hover around the, I don't know, four or five, maybe even six, right? Like I, I, we're going to come down a little bit from our six, nine that we saw on, on, was it Tuesday of this week? Wednesday? No, it wasn't that high. We're in the fives. No, no, no. I thought, I thought we were six, nine as of Tuesday. Um, so I'm using, I'm using PCE. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So you're using PC. Yeah. Okay. So I was looking at CPI, but like either way, nevertheless. Like, yep. I got you. Yep. Like we're, we're, we're coming down and we're going to come sure. down a little bit more, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're getting back to two, but I don't know. Just, what, yeah. What's your thought on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to pay, this is a great question and I'm going to pair this for, uh, what I had said right before this, when we were talking about China, that was one variable. I'm going to hit the other variables because that all plays into it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and this is kind of going back to, you know, let's look at the variables that are playing out right now. And then you can ask yourself, can a recession happen? Right. So you had the China opening again. It's, it's just, it's just more, more demand in the world that, you know, that needs to be filled. 
a big one has been, you know, somewhat funny to me is everyone. I'm talking everyone, um, big CEOs, managers of companies. It is a foregone conclusion that the European Union was going to be in a recession this winter and it was going to be pretty bad because energy costs were so high and just from the whole war. And it was no one even questioned it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that did not happen. <laughs> Let's be clear. That did not right. happen. Gas has come down a ton. Um, it's been a warm winter. That obviously really helps. Gas price, like gas prices have come down a massive amount. Their GDP yeah. is up, and they are doing well. So that was just a completely. Um, and again, so if you're forecasting the entirety of the EU, which is bigger in population than the United States, um, just about equal as GDP if you use the whole a whole eurozone. You're saying they're going to be in recession. Now they're not. Okay, so that's another form of demand, okay, from expectation. Then, and this is where I'm going to tie in what you just asked, right? You had the rate curve kind of peak out, uh, and that really means, you know, we can have a pretty good um, pathway to see we know the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates in 2023 to this level and then kind of peak out and stop. Right. So, so it's the known, right. And I'm not saying that rates did peak. I'm saying that we can see that they will, and that's for a market that's good enough. And then the last thing is inflation peaked, right. And that's, that's definitely, uh, that's true. That's fair that it did so, peak hey, and it is I coming wanna, down. I want to, I want to push back on one thing you said about the fed though. Yep. So if you look at fed funds features, right. Uh, at, I think it was as of last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. Now, it was, I think, as, as of the end of last week, the market's pricing in like five to five and a quarter, right? Correct. The top of the range. Yes. Fed speakers came five out and today yeah. and said that they might go higher. Yes. Right. Do you think the market has the Fed wrong? Because I, no. I do. No, I don't. Okay, why not? Okay, so first off, so they keep saying that they're going to raise rates further and will based on the data. Rates right now, right? And so this is, remember, they only control one rate, and that's the Fed funds rate, and then you have yeah. the whole curve, right? Right now, rates are, I think, four and a half. Okay, so, and then they will be raising more, right? So when I say the rate curve peaked, that doesn't mean that rates peaked. That means that our expectation of them has peaked. And in the summer, it is the June meeting. It is assumed that that Fed funds rate will be five and a half percent, and then that's it. And so, so like the market knows that already. So then the Fed saying we're going to raise rates more. I mean, that's true. We're the market's telling them, yeah, we know, right? You're going to take them from four and a half to five and a half. So there's something called a dot plot, which is basically the projections that the Fed has for themselves. And those projections, um, the Fed has has said in those projections that they also see that their terminal rate is about five and a half. I think Bullard was out this morning. Messer was out yesterday. They all said that, you know, we can see us raising probably to, you know, uh, uh, I think they've said above five, right? Because they're not going to be specific like I am. They're going to be kind of vague. But so honestly, they have the market, I think, and the Fed are actually not in too much of a disagreement. I think we're probably all on the same page, about a five and a half uh, Fed funds in the summer. Um, and that's going to be peak at, at this time. Now, that can change, of course. I can change, but but where we're at today, and what I'm saying is what the market likes, it's not the level of rate or where the rate is. The market likes to know where the peak is, and that's right. my point, right? It's And that's, again, this is one of those second derivative things that people, you know, confuse about the markets or about their stocks, right? Or about, you know, the S&P 500 on the news. Oh, the Fed raised rates today. 
yes, but like I can tell you that they're going, I can tell you what they're going to do all the way to the summer. So when they do it, it's not news, right? Mm -hmm. And that is powerful from the Fed. And also to tie this in from what I said at the very, very beginning of this is different. Um, back when inflation was a problem in the seventies, the federal reserve did not have this power full stop. And what I mean by that is forward guidance. The fed would come out in a meeting and no one knew what they were doing and they would just do it. And so that was an event. And that was where interest rates had to wield the power all themselves. As an example, one year ago, okay, January, 2022, the fed funds rate was at, I think one, it was very, very low. But they talked about being very aggressive. And so then that curve, that curve is what I'm talking about. And so they raised that curve so much, they didn't even raise rates. But since they raised the expectation of raising rates, the markets will adjust all throughout the curve. And so then that's doing the power for them. And that's what I know many practitioners will kind of get wrong because it doesn't work like it used to. It's a new tool and that's a post-08 tool. So how many recessions have we used that for? COVID in 2009, which it just really came around and that's it, right? So this is a new thing of seeing, oh man, the Fed can raise rates without actually doing it by just their voice and changing the expectations. And so when I say that, hey, that was a big variable in the fall that we could say, hey, we know where rates are going to peak because now it's over, right? Yeah, the Fed's still raising till the summer. Again, being very clear. I'm not, that's not over, but we know it. So therefore it is, it's a very strange thing in the markets, but that is, that is, um, now that again, that doesn't mean it can't change, right. And data can change. It can change our expectations, right. And that's why markets will move. But to be clear, they're not changing based on what's happening right now. They're changing on based on, oh, well, are they going to also raise them in August or July? Like, that's the question that markets are asking today is about, August, September, July. They're not asking about the Fed meeting in March. We know exactly what's going to happen. It's a non-event, right? So what we look for is guidance from the Fed in March about what they're doing in August, right? So to bring all that, I'm going to circle that up, you know, as I promised. Well, in this whole inflation kind of thing here, but as we sit today, right, I can say I'm, we're very confident inflation has peaked. The composition of inflation, right? So you mentioned CPI. If we're going to use PCE, that's fine. It's goods inflation, rent, housing inflation. That's the same thing, rent and housing inflation. And then services inflation, X housing. Those are your three components. That's all that matters right now. In November, we can talk about, hey, is it three and a half? Is it two and a half? Are we going to make it? It's a great conversation for them. Right now, rent is, uh, that's a lagging indicator. And we know that rent is going to come down in 2023. Rent inflation is going to come down at a good clip. And that's almost 60% of your inflation number. So this is just math at this point. That's the, that's one thing that people miss. Inflation composition is just math. And so we can break down these pieces. Goods inflation came down a ton in the fall. January, right? It came back up a little bit. You know, we'll see how it plays out. Things don't go down in a straight line. Yeah. Services inflation is the wild card. And that's where we look at wages. We already talked about that. The wage number, right? The growth, it has actually come down. And that's fairly consistent, you know, with a um, price environment from, from pre-COVID days. So right now, we're not seeing anything in inflation that is concerning to us, right? And that can change. And now I'm not saying that 
we're at two eight and we stay there and the Fed wants it at two and by golly, they're going to get there. Maybe that's true, but that's not a conversation for today. That That's a different one right now. As you said, right. If we're looking at your mix at mid sixes, right. How are we going to get it down to three? I just told you it's math, right? Math will bring it there, you know, and, and, and that's something that, that we can say confidently And the market knows that. That, that's why the market's having a good year, right? Uh, uh, that's how, or, or I guess to say, why well, it's rebounding a little bit from that 2022. It's a known thing. Um, and, and that's basically already priced in. Right, right. Well, off of that, right, and, and, and given that backdrop, let's talk about earnings a second. This is kind of like hot take number two here. Um, what have you seen out of earnings season? Uh, the one thing that I know I wanted to touch on with you uh, bank earnings. We haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. Uh, numbers came in pretty good. Numbers came in pretty good for the banks. But when you listen to every earnings call, right, they seemed cautious. Um, I believe even JP Morgan had the line in there that said something to the effect of we will continue to service our existing customers and grow relationships when it came to um, when, when Jamie Diamond was for asked sure. about uh, lines of credit. So do you remember the Jamie Dimon hurricane lines? No. Uh, back in the fall when he was talking about there was a hurricane coming on those earnings calls. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right. I know, I knew you want to talk about banks. So I pulled out a quote for you. This was on the earnings call, right? So this is Jamie Dimon. And so for the listeners that don't know on some of these earnings calls, it may have been at a conference. Hey, you know, Jamie, how's the how's the economic outlook? Brian, as you've as you've said before, always, right? The banks have a reading on kind of how everything's doing. And he said, you know, there's a hurricane on the horizon, like, and it's coming for us. And everyone ran with this, right? Jamie said a hurricane's coming. Okay, so here's the quote I got for you. This is in the recent Q1. So this was three weeks ago. And this is from Jamie. I think those uncertainties may very well mitigate and will end up with that kind of Goldilocks mild recession, but they may not. So I'm still on the cautious side on this one. I shouldn't have ever used the word hurricane. What I said was that there were storm clouds, which may mitigate. And people said, oh, he doesn't think it's a big deal. And I said, no, these storm clouds can be a hurricane. And so I'm saying that this stuff I'm talking about still could be. It could be nothing. It could be bad. And I think you gotta, you should understand that I'm not predicting one or the other. I'm simply saying a little could be for one or both of them. So this is Jamie backtracking this hurricane and saying, I have no idea. Just take all that back. And maybe it could be really bad or maybe it could be fine. So, so, so there you go. That is a Jamie Dimon quote. I'm not kidding. I, I'm reading that um, straight off the, the transcript there. To miss that piece during the tra- during that call. Because um, I, I listened to that one in Bank of America and I just remember. Yep. Yeah, one of them. Well, I think both of them were talking about being more cautious, but that's also for sure the exact same thing you expect them and want them to say as a show. Of course, absolutely, you know? and they are going to be right. But as all as I've always said, right, you follow the money, and in banks, right, actions are louder than words. And mm-hmm. you know, um, the banks are doing great. Uh, they're seeing good activity. Um, I pulled out another one from Wells Fargo. Okay, uh, another quote uh, here from uh, their CEO Schwarf. Debit card spending was up 1% compared to a year ago. Credit card spending increased 17% from a year. Average balances were up 22%. Payment rates have started to moderate, but we're still above pre-pandemic levels. You know, so there's another quote that was from Wells. And the key there, I think right now for the banks, as you asked, is look, the banks are doing 
very well. Activity is fine, right? Um, investment banking is is struggling a little bit because of rates. You know, the the uh, obviously refinance business is zero. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mortgage market is is not that great because that's transactional and transactions have have hurt, right? These are interest rate sensitive things, and that's what interest rates do. However, um, their core businesses of consumer banking, business banking is all very solid. Activity is good. And the kind of key there, right, uh, for these things to note is the delinquency rates of um, credit cards. They are, and, and loans in general, are at historic lows. All the banks will tell you, and and again, Brian, why they're going to be cautious is because they're going to say, like, listen, we're going to, like, delinquency rates are going to go up. Because we're at historic lows. You I mean you're not going to stay there? It's one of those contextual things, right? Think delinquency rates are going up, and you'd be like, "Ooh, man, that's bad, right?" Consumers are missing payments. But if it's going up to just normal from historically low levels, are you as worried? No. Right, and so um, we'll see how it plays out, right? But actions speak louder than words. They're still investing a ton of money in their business, as you just said, right? And Jamie will always say that we want to take care of our customers first, right? We're going to spend the money to do that. Um, you know, well, Wells is saying the same thing. Bank of America, same thing. You know, Bank of America is actually, you know, they're the least cautious, I would say, you know, and saying, hey, you know, we're, we're seeing some good stuff. So I, I'm not saying anything there that is concerning, you know, and um, we're watching those delinquencies. We'll see, you know, when they get to normal. And then if they go past it, right, you probably do overshoot a little bit. Again, wouldn't it be surprising? Um, but again, I'm going to be honest. I was looking for that all of 2022. I think a lot of uh, of the the bank exec teams were looking at that for 2022. It never happened. So it's going to happen at some point, um, you know, probably this year. Because again, as you know, that's my theme, right? Normalization. Normalization is coming back. You know, that is, uh, that's there. So We'll see, but I agree with you, man. They were good. They have a good read on the economy. Um, and actually here in a couple of weeks, we'll get to um, the banks and, and conference season. So we'll hear from them again. I expect them to have good things to say, right? January data was very good. You know, um, just to hit more recent things this week. I mean, data has been on fire. It's almost too good. Um, you know, for whatever it's worth, there there is seasonality. Weather was good in January. Our seasonalities, I think, are really messed up those seasonality adjustments post COVID. So look, we'll close this. We'll move on to that next take, but here's the one sentence and many people would say, why don't you say this the first time and just skip this last 30 minutes, which is fair. That's what people tell me all the time. <laughs> December, right? I was much more positive than consensus. And I said, Hey, it's not as bad as you're saying it is right. We can see it. Well, right now the, the data from January, right? And the, the spending data we have, look, it ain't that good either. Right. It's, it's not bad. But now, you know, people are now swinging way to the other side. You know, wow, January's on fire. Right. What, you know, okay, listen, it's also not going to be that hot. Right. We are at a really good spot. We're normalizing. And man, that's just my theme. How many times am I say normalizing this year on this podcast? Probably 5,000. I don't know. But it's, it's just not something that people are still picking up. I don't know. No, I agree. Agreed. I mean, it, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see you know, the remainder of the year, but you're right. I mean, the banks are, and, and really everybody it's good. Yep. So this is the last one. We'll close it with this. A lot of these tech companies post COVID think about how much they hired and they overhired. It kind of ties into what I said at the very beginning of being a forecaster post COVID was very, very hard. 
And so you had companies over hire uh, because you just forecasted the trend wrong, you know, because things were weird. And that's take number three. None of tech is dead. Okay, that's a bad take in and of itself. Some of tech is dead. Um, okay, I'll even scratch that. Google isn't dead. That's what I'll, that's, that's what I'll say. Okay, this is really like a chat GPT and Google isn't dead. I cannot speak to most of tech and I'm sure there's plenty of junk tech, but I will speak to the megas. Okay, so you have your, you know, your Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple, um, your Netflix, and then, you know, your, your plenty of other mega adjacents, your sales forces, stuff like that. Those are not dead. That's what I'm really trying to say. But they do need to go through a digestion phase. And that means they got way over their skis with hiring, way over their skis with CapEx post of 2022. And so then obviously in the headlines, I know you've seen it. I know our listeners have seen it, right? Oh, this is Amazon's laying off, you know, 20,000 people. Amazon hired, I think, 260,000 people since COVID. And so far, their layoffs are totaling 25,000. And it sucks to be in the 25,000 just flat out it sucks i and i get that i feel for that um but that is 10 percent of just what they've added right like in the scheme of things because again that's kind of what i'm addressing here that's what i've been asked a lot of like hey man you know we've seen a lot of these tech layoffs and you know where's that going to filter through it's just not much you know google i think is laying off eleven thousand people that's like what they hired last quarter um so you know it, it, the megas right they aren't dead they're going to go through a digestion phase. They're really not even hurting, you know, to be honest. Um, and so that's kind of the, the last take. That's the hot take. Well, that's the last take. The hot take then to piggyback on this, Google isn't dead uh, because of the chat GPT noise. Man, that's been uh, fun to to watch. And remember when everyone could like change their name to Bitcoin a couple years ago and they'd just add like 20 billion a market cap. I have now seen random companies come out with uh, PRs that are like, oh, by the way, we have AI in our clothes. I'm like, you guys, you're literally, this is, <laughs> is AI like the new thing now? Um, you know, it's something that I, I do, I do know, you know, a little about, right? Um, I, I've definitely kind of been adjacent to it and, and as it is important, um, but man, the chat GPT thing. Uh, I got to give it to Microsoft. Um, it's not about the technology, okay? But their marketing has killed it. They've really marketed it very well. They've really, really spun up the hype. It is way overhyped. Um, Chat GPT, okay, not AI. That's not what I'm talking about. That is real, and that that will make a difference. But I'm talking about the Chat GPT is killing Google and changing search forever. That's just massive overhype. That's my take. Maybe I'm going to look silly in a couple of years, but I'm sticking to that one. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but doesn't Google have their own AI chat GPT-like thing in the works? They do, right? Bingo. And they actually uh, have Lambda. Lambda is chat. So chat GPT is based on something called GPT-3. And that is just a... Uh, it's really how many like transistors are then processing a natural language, uh, which mm. is an LLM large language model. Um, and it's something like, you know, I think like 10 trillion or billion. I'm not sure how many zeros are after it. Lambda is a factor of that. It's like 18 trillion, which basically means it's smarter, right? Um, for layman's terms. Um, also, <laughs> Uh, funny is uh, most Google engineers made ChatGPT, uh, and Google is the, really the pioneer in the LLM. They have Lambda, 
they are going to then implement this probably in the next couple of months. Um, we will see how that is but because again, they had to answer Microsoft because Microsoft basically marketed this chat bot way better than Google can Google's marketing. They're not known for that anyways. <laughs> um, however, right. You need to understand, man, Google's ecosystem is way, way, way bigger to build a moat around search. That is literally why they buy anyone. And that is why they do business. They have YouTube, they have Gmail, they have AdWords, they have Maps, uh, and they also bought a DeepMind for $500 million. DeepMind is known as the utmost expert in AI and LLM. And if OpenAI was just valued at $30 billion, how much do you think DeepMind's worth? They bought it for $500 million. That's got to be one of the best investments of the past decade. Right? So <laughs> Google has lots up their sleeve. Um, and man, everyone is calling the death of Google. So to end it, it's kind of my fun hot take, right? Google is definitely not dead. Uh, they have a lot. They have a lot coming. Microsoft definitely won the mar marketing battle, no doubt. Um, you know, Brian, this is a quote I'm pulling out. This is from Facebook. And this made me chuckle. In terms of underlying techniques, chat GPT is not particularly innovative. It's nothing revolutionary, although that's the way it's being perceived by the public. It's just that, you know, it's well put together and it's nicely done. OpenAI is not particularly advanced either compared to other labs at all. It's not only just Google and Meta, but a half a dozen other startups that basically have the exact same technology. I don't want to say it's not rocket science, but it's really not hard and there's no secret behind it. <laughs> that was uh, Meta's chief scientist or Facebook, whatever their name is. I just made me chuckle because I, I, I have actually heard, you know, really that same thing you know, from uh, the experts in the arena. Again, I mean, the UI of ChatGBT, like it's a chat bot, it's for the public and it hit and the public was like, wow. You remember when like Alexa came out? Yeah. That's like kind of, that's like kind of where I'm at with this, right? And and this is going to be, going to be more important than voice. I'm not, I'm not saying it's just like that because the capabilities are absolutely there, right? And And it is going to be a big deal. But my point is that it is a commodity, like a chatbot that is an LLM. Lots of tech companies have this. They can just roll it out, right? And, you know, so that's my, it's not like a chat GPT Microsoft is specific thing. Um, I'm more saying it is a technology for the world that will be huge, no doubt. Um, but this, this very initial kind of like Microsoft chatbot push to me, it's like voice. We all thought it was so cool. And then we never use it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyhow, that's the uh, that's the that's the last take I have uh, for the day. All right. Well, um, there is one question I have for you. I know you've been getting this. Uh, you know, something that that kind of goes into this. What do you think the spend is going to be on this stuff? Right. I mean, this is this is definitely a um, all this new technology. It's, it's got to cost money. People got to be paying for it somehow. Granted, Google's wildly profitable, even Microsoft's wildly profitable. But of course, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's 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 got to be a lot of uh, there's got to be a lot of money going to this. And you know, if you're Chat GPT, right? Like, how do you make how do you make any money as the, as a business? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um. It, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the cost is huge. 
that's definitely something that is not talked about, you know, about these things. And, and by cost, really, um, what we're talking about is basically cost per query. So if you put in, um, you know, uh, who won the Super Bowl two years ago and have chat GPT tell you that the amount of compute that it uses versus you searching it in Google and it just telling you the answer from a scraped web page um, is from the, again, these are estimates that are going to be wildly off here at the beginning, but we're talking like 10 X. It costs more to give you the same answer. Right. So like now, of course you say, well, chat, I can ask much better answer. Well, sure. You know, Yes, you can, you know, no doubt. But when you're talking, I rolled it out to the public. Most of the searches are what was on Netflix yesterday. <laughs> okay, so, and guess what? That's going to cost the same because uh, this is goes into that whole transistor thing. You're hitting 10 trillion transistors, right, uh, to create an AI that literally responds, you know, in, in a language. And so, yeah, dude, the cost is astronomical. Uh, and so how do then do you create that into a business model? And quite frankly, Microsoft, they are probably just trying to get people to use Bing and, you know, take share from Google. So they probably don't care. They ain't gonna make any money. Um, you know, Google, uh, they are going to, you know, they're gonna have to defend. They're playing a little defense here and they will probably succeed at that. And in, in my view, um, a little caveat that I haven't seen talked about. This is just a, a fun one. Where's this compute done? Do you know? Yeah. Well, you only have three cloud players, Microsoft, Azure, Google Cloud, and AWS. So if Microsoft has a chatbot that uses a lot of compute, they're paying themselves because it's Microsoft Azure. So that does mitigate costs because while your search is like really racking up the, the cogs, cost of goods sold, yeah. you're just paying Azure for your compute. And again, same for Google. So like... Yeah hey, yeah, this is going to cost a lot more. And so like our search profitability is going to go down. And I think that's fair. And, and I'll be honest with you, we've had, you know, gross margins going down in Google. That's been in our models for a couple of years. That that make that just makes inherent sense. Okay. But you could also then counter me and say, well, man, so like is GCP going to make a lot more money? Probably. <laughs> so, you know, that is like an interesting dynamic. <clears throat> and I mean, I'm, I'm going way, way, way ahead, you know, of the, of the baton here, um, you know, and, and how all that works. So we'll see how it plays out. It will be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I gotta tell you, you know, your second derivative is, you know, from, you know, j just from talking about spend bullish chips. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be a lot of semis. Yeah. Well, and again, that's why we've seen what six factories just in the you know in the U.S. Oh yeah. Announced in the past. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chip demand six and and AI going into AI. everything, right? And, and and that is somewhat of my point, right? I, I'm and to be clear, I'm not really diminishing the technology. I'm not saying that's like you know voice and you know we won't ever use it. It it, it is a big deal. It's been a big deal. Okay. It just hasn't been rolled out to the public. Um. It is coming you know into more things and um especially uh which again our listeners might not know but it can code better than anyone so you know you can create like two apps so your efficiency for you know software engineers you can create two apps in the matter of like a day just by letting your the machine do it itself right that's that's huge right so so no i mean right. i'm not diminishing that what i'm saying is that chat gpt is not going to replace google search <laughs> that's that's my hot take right. 
So I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, no, that was good. That was really good. I'm liking this uh, takes setup that we're we're trying out. You know. Um, well, you know what it does. It, it's going to make us look either really. What's going to make us look either really good or like really really stupid because we're just going we're firing it out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know we try to keep these things to a half an hour, and you you have the timer. I I, I can't see it, but we are way over that. But. I think we should give the listeners at least most of this because this is, I think this is our best episode yet. This is a good one. That's a good one. Hey, you know, a half hour was a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll, be... we'll dial it in. All right. Well, um, I think that's going to be it for today. Well, well man, this project's been fun, man. It's, it's been a good three episodes. I think we have a really good pathway. I'm stoked about it. And, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll keep it going. We'll keep getting better. Uh, keep giving us the feedback, and um, can't wait for uh, for our guest uh, uh, next up. Probably, I think end of March. Uh, we'll say end of March. Yeah. I know it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm looking forward to it, and um, talk to you soon, my friend. Awesome. Bye, everybody.